0: If you got your Bibles on you, go ahead and open to 1 Thessalonians. We have been traveling through 1 Thessalonians for this entire semester, and we have been uh, in the midst of a series called 1 Thessalonians, Living a Life Defined by the Gospel. And we have seen a lot of gospel principles play out. We've talked about sanctification. We've talked about loving one another. We've talked about burdening ourselves for one another. We've talked about what it means to preach the gospel and to share the gospel with others. We've talked about the things of sanctification. We've talked about sexual morality. We've talked about what it means to love one another more and more. We've talked about perseverance. All things that help us live a life that is defined by the gospel, just as the Thessalonians were doing. They were living a life defined by the gospel. But there's one thing that we haven't really hit about the gospel yet, not truly, not in its full form, and that is the thought of hope. It says in First Peter that we have been born again to a living hope. Meaning, it's not a dead hope. It's not something that's just stationary. It's not something that's just there. It's something that's vibrant. It's something that lives with us and in us and continues through us. And hope is what we're going to be talking about tonight. Hope because, one, we are in the Christmas season, we are in the Advent season. Which I'll get to in just a minute and two because that's exactly what our scripture leads us to right now Like I said, we're going to be in first Thessalonians chapter 4 and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 18 tonight But instead of starting just at 13 I wanted uh, us to start our time parked on on verse 18 the very end of what we're going to be focusing on tonight so go ahead and, and jump to verse 18 there. 1 Thessalonians 4.18 because I want us to start there because this verse lays out the reason for us, the reason for us to be reminded of what Paul is teaching. Paul starts with the words, therefore, a therefore statement meaning because, because of everything I've said, here's what you need to do and we'll get to the because of everything I've said. But what he says in verse 18 is therefore, encourage one another with these words. The words that we are focusing on tonight, in those verses that come right before that, we need to understand that Paul sees them as an encouragement to one another. He sees them as an encouragement for us, and, and that's what he's pleading with the Thessalonians to do, is to use the words that he just said as an encouragement so what are those words? What, what is the topic that Paul has for us in those verses? What, what topic should be so encouraging? To summarize it, it's the coming of Christ. The coming of Christ is what should be so encouraging for us, and particularly the second coming of Christ. The return of Christ as like in church world what we call it is the advent of Christ advent means coming so when we say that it's advent season like right now we're in the Christmas season otherwise known as the advent season what we're saying is we're in the season of celebrating the coming of Christ and that's when we gather together on Christmas Eve and Christmas and we actually celebrate the fact that Christ came to earth that was the first advent but we, what we see here in First Thessalonians that is our encouragement is the second advent, the second coming of Christ. So some of you might have been familiar with that term advent and the season that we are in right now and, and how we are celebrating Christ's first coming and the fact that he was born to a Virgin Mary and he was born in the town of Bethlehem. And I love that the Lord so chose for us to hit these verses at the start of the Christmas season. Like we, were, we were actually supposed to be in these verses a lot earlier, but we've had to cancel a few times, right? Whether it's been through like COVID regulations or different things that have happened. like We were meant to be through this already, but in the Lord's sovereignty, he chose for us to be going through talking about the second coming of Christ while our church is celebrating the first coming of Christ. And so because of that, that that's why I wanted to title this message, The Two Advents of Hope. I want us to see the relation of hope in both of the Advents, both of the comings of Christ that we get to see as saints. So let's talk about those hopes. Hope is what you feel when you're looking towards the coming of Christ. That's like the summary that Paul's going to give us is that hope is your response and it's what you feel when you look towards the coming of Of Christ and for the Israelites of history. Like way back when, like for us, we'd say in the Old Testament, right? The Old Testament days. For them, for the Israelites, that first coming of Christ was something they were holding on to. They were hoping for a Messiah to come. The Israelites, they knew they were sinful. They knew that through Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God and that God, time and time again, had saved them from their enemies. He had saved the Israelites so many times from their enemies that if you read through the Old Testament, it just, after a while, it just starts to get like a little redundant. Like again, again, like he saves them and then they're like, I'll just go worship, I'll worship Baal this time. This one sounds good. Yeah, I'll worship this God instead. You know what? Let's make a calf out of gold this time around. That'll be a way that we will insult the Lord. Like, Over and over, they turn away from him. And then they come back because he saves them. And they turn away from him again. Like God gives them a garden with Adam and Eve, and they break the one rule that they had. They had one job, right? One rule, and they broke that. God gives them the earth after that, and they choose to fill it with evil and sin. God destroys the world and restores it through a flood, and once again, they choose to defile it. They become enslaved in Egypt. God restores them uh, and brings them out of Egypt. And they choose to worship other gods almost immediately after in the desert. God, after going through all of that, ends up giving them the promised land that he had been promising to their ancestors for years. And what do they do? They curse that land. They defile it. And they still choose to worship other gods and marry with people that have other gods of their own. And time and time again, they just go through this cycle of sin and hopelessness and constantly trying to do better and constantly trying to achieve something on their own just not to be able to do it. God raises up judges for them. It's the book of Judges if you don't know much about that. like God raises up judges and these judges are to guide the people and the people listen to them for a bit and the minute a judge is gone, they stop paying attention. So God raises up kings, kings that would represent him and rule his people. Those kings become corrupt. So God raises up prophets to keep the kings accountable. The people of Israel kill the prophets. Every time God does something, restores, heals, they destroy. Am I driving my point home yet? And the Israelites, they're not the only ones. That's us too. Time and time again, if left to our own devices, we will most certainly Turn away from the Lord. We are not to read the Bible like the Israelites are this thing. We're the hero and we're different than them. No, we are to read it as if we are those Israelites. We are part of those people that turn away from God. We are people that, that treasure sin when left to our own devices. Like each one of us in this room, at some point or currently... We all have that thing right we all have that like thing we like to keep hidden that we don't want anybody to know about that thing that you're constantly trying to fix by yourself sin of the sin of addiction lust porn self-worship it doesn't matter whatever it is we each have one of those things and we like to keep it like it's this cute little pet that no one can see it's just Ours. We like to treat it like it's this, this little kitten when in reality it's a lion, right? It's a lion that's just waiting. It's waiting there and lying in wait to attack us when we least expect it. We take this thing that could absolutely destroy us and we try to domesticate it as if it was a house pet. But sooner or later, you're going to realize it's a lion. And you're going to be trying to hide it. Or you have been trying to hide it. Can you imagine what it would be like if you had a pet lion in your room and you tried to hide that? Can you imagine what it would be like to try to keep that from your parents or from your roommates? Can you imagine what it would be like to try to feed that thing without anybody possibly knowing that it's there? You might be able to do it for a little bit, right? In your own strength, you might be able to, to somehow get enough food for it for a while as it's growing. You might be able to p- keep people out of your room. You might be able to figure out how to come up with the fact that like your mattress has been destroyed and like you're getting all these weird bruises and injuries all over you from taking care of this wild animal. But at some point, the truth is going to come out because you can only imagine just how burdensome it would be to hide that secret. Imagine how burdensome it would get to be all by yourself in that. The stress, the pain, the hurt, the loneliness. It's like our cycle of sin. It does get burdensome. It gets weighty. It's hard to hide. We try to do it on our own. We try to say it's okay. But at some point, we all get to the point, and if you know Christ, you have been to that point where it's too much. And you realize and see that you need something. You need something greater. You need something more. You are holding out for a hope that there is something greater. And before you knew christ you didn't know what that was and then christ revealed himself and it clicked that's the hope that i've been waiting for and for the world that's still the thing and maybe for some of you i'm not going to pretend that each one of you has come to a personal saving faith in christ i'm not going to make that assumption for you that's for you to hear me as i'm speaking and evaluate that yourself but i do want you to see That at some point, there comes this sense that you need hope. And that you're hoping for this salvation. And that's the same kind of hope that the Israelites had. For years and years and years, they had this idolatry and the sinfulness and going against God and trying to please him and not being able to please him. And time and time again, the Lord would promise them A Savior was coming it started in Genesis 3 when he said like hey there's gonna be someone that comes from Eve and Like there's gonna be this whole thing and like he's gonna crush the head of the serpent The Serpent's gonna bruise his heel and it started with that little kernel of hope and it continued as it went through the kings Like King David himself was promised like somebody's gonna come from your line and that person's kingdom is gonna last forever There will be no end to the kingdom in which I will give a son that comes from your line. And so the people then had something new to hold on to. We're going to have a king, they said. We're going to have a king that will save us. And the prophets time and time again, like Christmas is a beautiful time because you can go back and you can read like Isaiah and and Hosea and and Malachi and all these prophets that time and time again preached that there would be a child born that would be this hope. And they waited for thousands of years. And if you hear this last Sunday, our pastor just preached on how like there was even a time for like 400 years where it was just dead silent. The last of the prophets had spoken and nothing else had been made known. They waited through tough times, times of silence. But eventually it came. And, And I say all that because I want you to feel the light at the end of the tunnel that they would have had. I want you to see the hope that was the first coming of Christ. They were expecting this king that would restore Israel and and conquer the world. They were expecting this prophet that would be able to preach the truth and the only truth. And they were expecting this priest that would come and actually rectify them with the Lord and and represent them to God like they were waiting for all these huge things. And God delivered it. In the quiet of night. In a little town. Like a whisper. And slowly, they got to see that that hope had been fulfilled. That's the hope of the first advent. But that's not where the hope stops. Because just as the Israelites of history looked forward to the first advent, so now we get the opportunity to look forward to the second advent. We get the opportunity to look forward to Christ's coming just like they did. And that's what we get to see here in the passage tonight. So let's dive into the full passage as a whole this time. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. I'm going to read through the whole thing, and then we'll just go through it verse by verse. Paul says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. So in summary, Paul is saying that those who have already seen the hope of the first advent, those who have placed their faith in Christ, Like it says in verse 14, it's it's those who believe that Jesus died and rose again. Like those people are the ones who get to look forward to a second advent. Those are the people that look forward to Jesus' return. The ones who truly believe and live in the reality that Jesus the Christ died on the cross for your sins Died on the the cross for the sins that we commit against God, which is essentially like high treason against the king. Like those sins, Jesus died for those for you to be forgiven. And if you believe that, you get the opportunity, you get the pleasure, you get the hope of waiting for the return of Jesus himself. You get to look forward to that. That is our treasure. That is our prize, is that that is something we get to participate in. The sheer thought of that in your soul should inspire a hope. But there's a few different hopes in here. There's two that Paul sort of fleshes out it's a hope that we will see those who have died. And a hope that um, they will someday be done with this earth and done with its shortcomings and finally be with Jesus. Those are the two hopes. To be reunited with those that have passed and even more importantly, to be with Christ. So let's let's just flesh those out a little bit. Let's understand what those hopes are and let's start with that first hope. A hope to be with those that have died, to be reunited. Like verse 14 says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And and skip down to the very end of verse 16. It says, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them. So we'll be caught up together with those that have died, in the cloths. So that's the first aspect of hope. The first aspect of this advent that gives us hope is that those who have fallen asleep, meaning those who are dead in Christ, like it says in verse 16, they're going to rise again. Those that are dead in Christ, they will rise again, and we, we will join them. The true hope here it's not just that that we get to see people we love again, right? That's that's not the, the truest thing. Like your greatest hope shouldn't be that you get to see someone that has passed again. Now that, that is a hope. That is an awesome reason for hope that, that it is not done, that we will see those that have passed and are dead in Christ. Like that, I'm not trying to diminish that part at all, but what I'm saying is the ultimate hope isn't just the fact that we get to see them. The ultimate hope is that we get to be united again. We get to be together in Christ again. We get to be in fellowship again. We get to be the church again. We get to be together for Christ. That, that's the ultimate hope in that. And, and the reality that comes from that is that death is no longer a barrier. In fact, that, that's why Paul uses the term fallen asleep. Like, that's a weird way of saying it, right? Like, I remember when I came to Christ at 17, I, I didn't read 1 Thessalonians for a few years. I, was actually, I think it was like my freshman year of college when I actually took a class and we were reading 1 Thessalonians. It was the first time that I had actually read the term fallen asleep. And it, it just seems odd. I know Jesus says it, too. Jesus says, like, they're not dead, they're just asleep. But it's not the first thing that we immediately say when somebody is past, right that's not the first thing you usually hear we'll use words like past or they have died or things like that but paul chooses to use it instead of the word dead because he wants to emphasize something he wants to emphasize the fact that death is defeated death is done because for those who aren't in christ death is still a barrier for those that don't know Christ, for those who haven't accepted him, death is still very much a barrier. But for those who have died in Christ, they've just fallen asleep. Last night, I got to hang out with my sons. We have we have, uh, we have three kids, right? We have uh, two girls, and our youngest is a boy, and I got to go on uh, like a guy's night, like a Daddy-son date night, you know, we got to go hang out um, while the girls stayed at home, and it's something my wife set up for us to be able to spend alone time with one of our kids at a time. So, like, once a month, one of the kids gets to go out with one of the parents, and it's just this really great time of being intentional with them. And him and I, we went to, if you haven't been, to Steel Plow. We went to Steel Plow, and I got him, like, one of those huge milkshakes. It's, like, you know, as big as his body, pretty much. And uh, I'll show you the picture afterwards if you want. He was in love with it. Um, And we did that and he had his milkshake and then we went to books a million and we picked out some new books for him And he loves like I spy books and stuff like that So I got him like a dinosaur book where he gets to look for dinosaurs and stuff like that It it was a great time, right? And and when we got home, um, I was super uh, treasuring my son, right? Super treasuring who he was and and seeing sort of his personality and how far he's grown since we started fostering him and and just like All that the lord has done in the last couple years it was it was amazing to get to see and after we got home it was time for him to go to bed so he got ready for bed and we did our nightly routines of reading and praying and stuff like that and then i kissed him and i said good night and he went to bed he went to bed and, and there wasn't a big moment there wasn't a big moment with final words, like I didn't hug him and just cry about how much I was going to miss him, and we didn't share these final, you know, attributions of each other, and, and all these things, like we didn't hang on for dear life for the last moment we had before he went to sleep, and why is that? Why, why did we just treat it like normal, like I kissed him goodnight, he went to bed, and I'll see him the next day? Well, it's because I have the hope that I'm going to see him the next day is because sleep is not a barrier for our relationship. When he goes to sleep and when I go to sleep, I do not view that as an end to us. I don't view that as an end to me seeing him ever again. I don't view that as an end to what we have right now. And that's why I don't spend every single second before bed crying over him and and praying and be like, this could be our last moment together because sleep is not a barrier for us. It's something that's just natural. Something that's needed. Something that's going to happen. But it's not the end. It'd be a different story if I knew last night was going to be my last night ever with him. If I knew that one of us were about to die like I don't need to walk you through all the emotional goodbye stuff, right? I don't need to walk you through. You know what you would do if you had a chance to say goodbye to somebody like that. So why are those two nights different? It's because death and sleep are very different. There is a finality to death. Death creates a barrier that feels impossible to overcome. In fact, it is impossible to overcome. And that's why it's so phenomenal that Christ did overcome it. For anyone in Christ, death has been overcome. And sleep, however, is temporary. And it's, it's easy to overcome sleep, right? If I want to overcome my son's sleep, I go wake him up. If I want to overcome my sleep, I set an alarm. Maybe two or three. But I do get up, right? That's the hope of Christ's second coming. Is it for those who know Christ? Death is just but a temporary slumber. For those that know Christ it is no longer the barrier for those that know Christ it is just being able to tell my son good night rather than saying goodbye that's a hope that we can hold on to and those that have an understanding of the second advent of what it means for Christ to come that is the reason for hope that we see in that first part and that's how Paul wanted us to view it that's that's why Paul worded it that they have fallen asleep wanted to make sure very clear that we understood the hope of knowing death is not a barrier. So that's the first hope. Death is defeated. We'll see each other again. We will be united again in Christ. But the ultimate hope in the second advent, the most important thing, is that we're going to be with Jesus. We're going to see him. We're going to know him. We not only physically see him, but we get to physically be with him. Look back at verse 16 with me. It says, "For the Lord himself the Jesus himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God. So, so, summary, it's going to be loud and it's going to be obvious when he comes. That, that's what you can draw from that application point taken. When Jesus comes, it's loud and it's obvious. And there's no mistaking that it's going to be just that. The first advent was a quiet whisper in the middle of the night. And the second advent is the exact opposite. Everyone will know when it's happening. And it will be announced to everybody that it has happened and it is finished. It's going to be loud, obvious, and it says there at the end of verse 17, and so we will always be with the Lord. So if you believe and if you know Jesus, if that's you tonight in this room and you have a relationship with him, you do have a destination. You do have a resting point in your life. Like We all have a moment in our life that we are collectively heading towards. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter how you were raised. It doesn't matter what careers you guys end up having. It doesn't matter what families you have or what children you have. It doesn't matter because at the end of the days, each one of you is heading to this very moment right here. Every single one of us that follows Christ, we're going to partake in this snapshot. Not a single one of us are going to be left out of this moment. This includes anybody that knows Christ, right? Those who have already died and those that are still alive. So if you know Christ, not a single one of us is going to be left out of this moment. Every single one of us is going to experience it together. So there will be a day in your life when your ears are bursting to the seams with the sound of trumpets and an angel shouting, and you will indeed see Jesus himself and your eyes think about that like your very own eyes that you have will see exactly what is described here you can't get more future telling than that you can't get more precise and exact than that description right there the ultimate promise that everybody gets to partake in That knows Christ. Yeah. We're all different passengers. We all got on the bus. At different times. And in different places. But that bus is heading to one spot. And that's this spot right here. And I know for me. That's so cool. It's so cool to think about that. And it's very encouraging. That I'm heading that way. No matter what I do. I'm heading that way no matter what decision I make, no matter what college I decide to go to, no matter what career I choose to take, no matter who I choose to marry, like if I know Christ and I follow him, I am heading, the bus is going to that spot right there, and I will see Jesus, and I will see those that have known him and those that do know him. And in that moment, careers and death and relationships and money and cars, none of it's going to matter. That's the hope of the second advent. That's the hope that we have. And it, it is just as great, if not greater, than the first hope. Thousands of years people waited for a quiet whisper just to hope and pray and see and figure out who the Christ might be. And now we've, we've waited a couple thousand years. God's people have. Maybe we'll wait a couple thousand more. I don't know. It's 2020. Maybe we'll wait another day. I have no idea. But what I do know is that that hope of the second coming will be like it in the fact that it's filled with so much joy, so much hope, so much promise, and completely unlike the first one, the fact it will be loud and it will be obnoxious and it will be obvious and it will be a true celebration of joy. So that's how these line up tonight we get to see just how awesome God is and see how he planned both of these comings. And while we celebrate the first Advent on Christmas Eve and we get together, and if you come to our church, you know, we got the candlelights and, and like we actually like celebrate the fact that Christ came to earth and like all the while you're thinking about that, think about how it's going to compare and it's going to pale in comparison to the ultimate and second Advent, the second coming of Christ. And I, I pray that helps you worship even more. And things you should be left with tonight, that's hope. So where's yours? Is that where your hope is? Does your hope fall in the second coming of Christ? When I talk about that, when I read that, does that stir a passion inside of you, an excitement to be a part of that? Or does it not? I can definitely think of times in my life where it did not excite me. I was like, you know, Lord, I, I, would, I would love if you came, Jesus. But if I could just get married before you came, that would be sort of cool. Like, I, I wouldn't be mad, Jesus, if you decided to come, like, you know, after I had my first kid. I'd like to meet him. It'd be, it'd be nice. So that was, that was me, just like resting in that. And now I have kids. I'm like, Lord Jesus, please come. Please come right now. I'm so ready for this. And I'm sure a time will come and like a day when I'm like, you know what? You can wait, God. It's okay. You can wait. Like, I'm cool living where I am right now. Like, my heart is constantly struggling with the things in life. And I know yours is too. We saw that in the Israelites time and time again. Our hearts will constantly struggle. So for you, your message tonight is where's your hope? And if it's not where it should be, how can you get it there? And I tell you every time, right? The first thing I tell you every time when you don't know what to do and you don't know how to get there, what do you do? You pray. You pray and seek and the Lord will provide. And through his word, through his spirit, he will show you.